welcome back to another episode of Thanks Morris. I am Marie, the SLP, and on today's episode, I'm going to ramble because I like to ramble. No, I have a plan, a light plan, a loose plan, if you will. Last week on Instagram, and actually on TikTok, because I guess that's a new life for me now, I got to talking with, well, to and then with fellow SLPs about the idea of following a child's lead in therapy. I talked a lot about this in earlier episodes of the podcast when I talked about using your strategies like OWL, observe, wait, and listen. Also, if you can hear the noise, it's very windy um, right now. And so I apologize, but we're podcasting in the wind and it's, you know, it's all good. Anyways, um, yeah, I talked about observe, wait, and listen, the rock strategy, right? Keep it fun. Um, give, give cues. Oh my gosh, I'm blinking, but you know, rock, four eyes, four S's, all those things. And when I talk about them, I'm really coming from a place of following the child's lead, of engaging in what the child is interested in to encourage reciprocity, to encourage the fun and joy of communicating. And part of that whole process, part of the reason I like to follow a child's lead, well, a huge part of it, it's actually the initial reason why I do it, is to build a trusting communicative relationship or partnership, right? Now, I work primarily, well, only with preschoolers. I have worked with middle schoolers and high schoolers and elementary school students in the past. I've also worked with adults. And I know, based on experience, also based on research, that following your client's lead, having a more client-led session can bring you more engagement, um, more fun, more uh, expressive language, if that's what you're targeting, all those things. And so that's why I want to dive a little bit deeper into this topic right now, because I had this thought last week. I was last Monday sitting down, prepping my sessions for the week, coming back from winter break, thinking, okay, awesome. Like I feel refreshed. Not really. Um, I don't know what it is about this year. It's just the whole quarantine being at home thing. I think that coming back from breaks doesn't really feel the same as it used to, like, because we're still kind of doing the same things every day, being on break. It sounds negative. I'm not trying to make this sound negative, but it didn't feel the same. Like, because I wasn't going into work after being away from work, it's, I'm working from home. So anyways, I digress. The point is, as I sat down Monday, really getting my, my head into the mentality of I'm back to work and I'm going to start with some fresh ideas. I'm going to plan out the next couple of months of themes and therapy activities for my kids. And as I was planning them out, I had this thought of like, I remember not wanting to plan back in my CF year because I knew the more I planned, the more, for lack of a better way of saying this, the more my sessions would get jacked up because I was so focused on a plan and the students, you know, I think about my kindergartners I used to work with in my clinical fellowship and I had a handful that I could not plan. I could not have, you know, I wanted to, really wanted to do, um, you know, play this fishing game I remember once and this little boy would not do it. And the session before, he he loved it. And he, I, you know, so I thought, okay, he really loves this. I'm going to push, push this essentially, yeah, with, you know, these pronoun activities that we're working on. He would not go for it that time, the second time. And I remember, you know, 
when I first got introduced into the preschool program, we talked a lot about planning out um, our sessions and themes and correlating and corresponding, you know, communicating with the teachers like, okay, so this for the next six weeks, you're working on, you know, um, animals. So I'm going to make sure my activities and speech are kind of geared around animals and all the animal vocabulary and doing WH questions based on animals and all that stuff, right? And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to to plan like that, how, why, why get so detailed and why get so specific when it could go awry? It, you know, like, I mean, I might have a handful of kids that, yeah, they'll go along with it, but realistically, like these are preschoolers and attention spans only last so long, or I've got kids who, you know, they're really not interested or they're, um, they have limited joint attention and trying to get their attention with animals when they're not interested in animals and they're only interested in playing with the dollhouse is really going to be hard. And so I remember that first year I worked in the preschool program thinking like, you know what, I'm going to take it real easy on myself and not plan. Now, if my fellow preschool SLPs are listening to this, the ones that I worked with my first year, yep. I just said, never mind. Thanks for thanks for the help, teachers. But I am not going to go crazy in planning because I need my sanity. Now, yeah, themes. Themes are great. I love themes, and I've really learned to love them my last few years of preschool. But that first year was there was just too much else to learn and too much going on. And I really just wanted to build really great relationships with the students. So I really dove into following their lead getting to know what they liked and making sure I pulled things that I knew specifically that that child would like for their session versus try to push my own agenda, essentially. And here I am, you know, years later, like, okay, have a theme. (laughs) And I look back on young me and I'm like, if you you just had a theme, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Anyways, sorry, I'm rambling and I'm forgetting my train of thought, which is not good. So... Last week when I'm planning my themes, I thought, well, here's the thing. I don't want to get too detailed. Like, because if I spend hours planning all the activities and going, you know, this week I'm going to do, you know, Trashy Town. And next week I'm going to do Matt and Molly. And next week, like, even that much detail for me sometimes, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to spend my time doing when I know that the kids date are like we're on a day-to-day basis sometimes some days are good you know really engaging days and and uh they're maybe they don't feel the need to have more control I guess in a situation but some days our little ones need to have that control and they need to have those choices or they need to just come into a session and say I want wheels on the bus and you just have wheels on the bus and you go for it you know um so with that being said you know, when I'm thinking of these themes, I'm thinking of them in terms of like a very laid back, they're kind of there. Yeah, I'm making sure I have materials that pertain to the themes, but they're not necessary. Now, I know, I know SLPs who, who use themes day in, day out. I do use them, but they might tell me, but then, you know, you're not building in that repetition and that, um, you know, consistency of the vocabulary that's really essential to learning. And no, so so the way I want to word this is I have my themes. I know the vocabulary that I'm teaching. 
it's, it is very essential. The consistency and repetition is immensely powerful in honing those early language skills. And so what I think, the way I think about it is like my theme is like this umbrella. It's just an idea. It's an umbrella of an idea. I know all the activities I can have with the theme, right? Let's go back to farm animals. If I have farm animals, or sorry, just animals. If I have animals, great. I'm going to offer or have handy a variety of books that include animals. I'm going to, which most preschool books, like they're animals, that's what the kids, you know, that's what, what is so interesting to them. So I, I dare you to find, um, uh, no, I don't know why I'm daring you anything. You'll find many a book, a preschool or um, elementary level book with animals in it. Anyways, sorry. I'm really, I think the wind, I'm going to blame the wind. It's throwing me off today. But the next thing is like you have your handful of books and then like think about all the activities or toys that you can utilize with animals. And then think about if, if you are running tabletop centers or, ta- you know, a tabletop activity. Great. What are all the different, like, activities for a child that will sit at that table? What are things that they might like to do? And, yeah, they pertain to animals. Or, you know, think about it with a child when you're working on their speech sounds. Like, obviously, you're always going to be focusing on their speech sound. Or if you're doing a cycles approach, whatever cycle you're in, you're focusing on that with whatever activity you have. So it's kind of the same idea where it's like, yeah, like I know what we're working on, but I'm not going to be so rigid and so strict as to not allow for opportunities to follow the child's lead. And when I think about it that way, I'm thinking about it in the way from the minute the child walks into my speech room, the minute they walk in the door, they have they have control is essentially what I'm trying to say, I guess. But, you know, I got asked the other day when I posted about this, like, well, doesn't that hinder the idea of having a res- like an you know respect like respect for my teacher versus like the student like I don't you know I my students don't run the room but my answer is no when you are truly following the child's lead you're building trust so inherently you wouldn't be losing respect in fact you're gaining it and I think this is really essential obviously with the younger ones because they little kids want to feel safe I always tell um you know my my brother this because my nephew is younger and I always remind him you know little kids really even though he's the one with the child I know but (laughs) whenever we're talking about you know behavior and things like that I'll always remind him when he's talking about my nephew maybe having you know a behavioral outburst or something I'm like okay well in that moment do you like, what do you think about how he felt, like, safety-wise? Like, do you think he felt um, understood? Do you think he felt um, like he was, um, you know, going to be, like, going to be left kind of SOL, like, in, in the living room? Or I don't know. But, like, did he feel safe? Um, you know, yeah, okay, then you go down the checklist. But, like, ultimately, that's how I think of it. So when I bring a little kid into my speech room, even if I already know them, even if I've built rapport... I know, okay, but it's a new day and we still want to make sure you feel safe. And so I let them come in my speech room. Now, as they get to know me, I work with kids for two to three years. And after some time, we build a routine. We we do, but all of my kids are so different. So sometimes that routine for kid A is going to be different for kid B. And that's 
perfectly fine. I have kids. They can come in. They can grab their speech folder. They can sit down at the table, and we can get started with our song. I have kids where their routine is they come in. There's two to three different toys out. They choose one. We're playing. And then maybe we'll sing a song if we have time at the end. But there are different routines for different kids. And so I teach them the routine based on how maybe how engaged they're going to be, how um, uh, like how much attention they might have towards activities and things like that. So, you know, these kinds of ideas of following the child lead, they can look different for different kids. But ultimately what you're doing is you want to make sure you're building that trusting, respecting place where they know you're interested in what they're interested in. And that's kind of the whole point. So I got the question the other day about that losing respect. And and then um, as I talked to the other person, you know, she was telling me, well, I work with middle schoolers and I feel like I can't just bring them into the speech room and ask them what they want to do because then they feel like they're going to always have all that, like the ultimate control. And, and it is, it's a different age and they're different students. When I worked with middle schoolers, I had a handful of students where, yeah, like, they needed to know, you know, maybe they were a little bit more moody because middle school is a moody time um, and high school sometimes too. And, and you know, they they really needed to set those boundaries or we needed to set those boundaries of, okay, when we're in here, you're working towards your goals, you know, we're going to, you know, do activities obviously that you like, but in, with those kids sometimes following their lead meant asking how they were and meant having a conversation about how they felt that day. Um, Same with high school. Some of my kids in middle school, you know, depending on their developmental level, like I I could completely follow their lead and just say, hey, what book do you want to read today? Or what book do you want to look at? Or whatever it was. So I'm still thinking of it as following their lead, even if you can tell they're coming in and they're kind of out of it, you know, and asking, how are you? That's a huge trust builder. I mean, actually saying, I care about you. I, I am listening to you rather than just, you know, maybe they had, they're having a hard day. They were at lunch and something happened and you're like, okay, well that happened then move on. You know, that's not doing much good for their social, emotional, um, well-being. And so I think that keeping those following their lead things in mind with any age that you're working with is so helpful in building that trusting relationship. As SLPs, most of us seem to be pretty altruistic. We seem to really care and want to help our clients and the people around us. And so the first place to to start is building that trusting, that safe environment. And you can't do that if it's not a two-way street. If you're not asking how your client is, if you're not telling them, I care about you, With my little ones, the way I do that, at least in the beginning, or if they're nonverbal, is by taking the time to watch how they play. I observe, I wait, and I listen. I see what they gravitate towards. I see that they get, you know, overstimulated when the lights are too bright. So I make sure I'm always turning a light down for them when they're coming in the speech room. Things like that. Like you build that trust. Um, It's essential. And I don't think... You know, I think there are, as, as you get more and more used to doing it, you find where you can kind of wax and wane again when you have those older kids. You find, like, you know your student after, you know, once you build rapport, you know 
when maybe they're trying to manipulate or take advantage. Same with my preschoolers, you know, after a while. Like, I know when they know where the boundaries are. And so, yes, like, after, you know, having gotten to know them for so long, sometimes that's when I'm starting to pull out my first then board and say, first, we're going to do this. Like, I know you, you know, we have especially in an assessment. Oh my gosh, assessments in preschool. Talk about following a child's lead. If you can do a standardized assessment while technically like following a child's lead, let me know how because I you know, some days with cer- certain students I'm like, yeah, I got this down. Like I, I'm tech like I'm basically, you know, I'm I'm doing the standardized assessment, but assessment assessment, but um it's hard because you're literally pushing one agenda like you uh, yeah so if if you have cracked that one let me know but anyways that's the whole point is you don't want to be just full force pushing your agenda so I rambled a lot and this isn't even what I wanted to say basically how I think of planning for therapy while following a child's lead looks like this. I'm going to give you an improv analogy and then we're going to be done, okay? When you are planning a, a theme, let's say you you plan your themes in months. So let's say you're doing, we'll just stick with animals, it's familiar. You've got, you know, you're in the month of March, you're planning animals for the month of March and you're like, okay, I have, I have all kinds of different kiddos on my caseload don't know how these activities are going to go for all of them but I know in their classroom I'm I'm basically walking you through my how I think about these things I know in their classroom they're talking about animals I want to make sure I'm carrying that over to speech and I'm really focusing on that vocabulary or if I push into the classroom I want to have you know activities that are adaptable right remember adaptable activities I want to have adaptable activities ready that go along with every, you know, that go along with the animal theme, that provide them that input, those core words, those, you know, functional vocabulary, whatever it is. But every session, like a kid might not want to do animals and we're not going to have a successful session if I'm just forcing animals on him. So the way I think of it is like improv. When you're in an improv scene, you get, let's say it's a two-person scene because that's pretty similar to a speech session, right? If you have an individual speech session, it's just you. We'll say you're the responder and it's the first communicator, the child, because you're following their lead, right? So you're going to let them give the first, whether it's expression, just like, well, gesture is an expression. So they give the first expression or choice, we'll say. But then what happens in an improv scene first? You get a suggestion from the audience. It could be a place, it could be a relationship. I mean, if you've seen Mark uh, direct any improv shows, it could be anything. He figure, you know, he gets the best suggestions because he gets so specific with what he asks the audience. But even still, that suggestion you get from the audience, whether it's a place, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a thought, it is a broad suggestion for the two people up there to do whatever they want with. Now, I'm the type of improver when I'm on in a show, I wait for my, I'm, I'm usually doing what I do in a speech session. I wait. I'm the second responder or I'm the responder, right? My partner, I usually wait to see what they, where they're going with it because I don't know if it's um, because I'm shy or 
which I'm not that shy when you get to know me. But I don't know if it's because I'm maybe a little bit more anxious. Um, And so I just kind of want to defer to their judgment. Sometimes I'll have an idea, but for the most part, I'm typically waiting and I I do space work with kind of to correspond with whatever they're doing, wait for them to give the first line and all these things. So in that sense, you know, if you're doing, if you're thinking of yourself like that, you're the responder, you get this broad suggestion. The person that first makes a comment or starts space work is kind of taking that suggestion and doing with it whatever they will, however they want to, and the responder follows their lead and says yes and and adds information. You don't deny, so if I'm in a scene and we get the location of, you know, the pier on the beach and my partner starts fishing, but I start, um, well, and, and, and my partner starts fishing and then comments on the fish and I say, I'm going to jump into the ocean. I mean, that could work essentially, but really like I'm not really acknowledging that they won't they want to talk about fishing that we're probably going to get the most out of this scene if I say yes and add more information about fishing and why I love fishing and my favorite fish is red salmon and I wish there were red salmon in the ocean like why aren't we fishing where there's red salmon I was really excited about red salmon and that just kind of makes funny and then you can run off of that and all this fun stuff right so same thing with animals if I'm you know we know our theme is animals that's our overall suggestion right but I don't know where it's going to go with my child in the session. So what might I do? Well, if the suggestion is animals, maybe I'm going to put out my farm set. Maybe I'm going to put out the fishing game that I have. And maybe I'll put out some stuffed animals and see what the child gravitates towards when they come in the speech room. And then when they get in there and they don't go, or if they go for one thing, I go for that thing too. I don't also, like if he goes for the puppets, I go for the puppets too. I don't go for the farm set and bring it over and try to like change what he's desiring to do. I don't change his interest or tell him his interest doesn't matter. I go along with it. If he doesn't want to do any of those things and is like looking towards the bookshelf, am I going to say, no, 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 let's go play with toys? Or am I going to say, oh, you want to read a book? And then find my animal book. And if he doesn't want to do the animal book and picks a different book, fine. Let it, because you're starting that off, you're, you're getting more engagement. It's same thing in the improv scene. You're going to get more meat in your scene if you're saying yes, if you're adding information that is honoring and responding to your scene partner's information. And you're honoring and you're responding to your client's interests and what they care about. Um, because then what you can do is, you know, as you gain skills in this area, what you'll do is then you can start to pull in. Let's say he finds the book. It's animals, right? Yeah, we know animals, but he finds the book on transportation and really wants to like go through that. Fine. You can um, do the transportation book and maybe start to pull in some animal stuff. What's a good idea? Oh, if you're looking at the boat, right? And then you're like, oh, the boat goes on water. (gasps) What else goes in water? What else? Oh, fishies go on water and ducks and you can have your toys ready maybe if you're uh, a better SLP than me and would have all that stuff handy. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like scrambling for everything, but you know, I try. Um, so those are just some ideas for you. So 
think about it like that. You have a general, when you're planning your themes, but you want to continue following a child's lead, it's a general idea. It's an improv scene suggestion, but your child is going to take it and go with it. And you're going to follow their lead, honor their ideas, continue building that trust and, you know, make communication fun. I mean, that's what our job is. At least that's how I think of it. All right, friends, thank you so much for listening to me ramble. I hope you're all having a great second week of January or third. Are we in the second or third? Second. Um, And I will talk to you next week. Next week, I have a very special guest. My friend Courtney is coming on to talk about her work as a military spouse plus SLP. Also, she will talk about her unique perspective as a hard of hearing SLP. And so I can't wait for you to listen in. That is next week. All right, friends. See you later.